Well, it's hard to believe that we are at the end of summer, and I'm sure some of you don't want to hear that, uh, particularly if you are a teacher or a student. But here we are in almost in the last week of summer. If you're visiting us uh, this morning, we've been in the middle of a series called That You Might Believe. Let me just give you the context in which this phrase is used in the Bible. It's part of an epilogue that uh, Apostle John writes in the Gospel of John. And if you're not familiar with the scriptures, uh, John was an apostle of uh, one of the disciples of Jesus. And he wrote the bi- a biography of Jesus, uh, included in it teachings of Jesus and several miracles of Jesus. Uh, he wrote about eight miracles which he called signs. And six of those miracles are not written uh, or not covered by the other three gospel writers. Let me just read the verse just to give you the context. And it's taken from John's Gospel, 20th chapter and 31st verse. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That we may believe. Let me take a couple of minutes just to clarify what John means by believe. Because the context in which he was using this word is very different to the, uh, compared to the context that we use this word in. In the New, New Testament time, when the word belief is used, it's used not merely in the context of agreement with a set of facts. Believing in Jesus' name, believing in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, meant that one was going against the religious beliefs of that time. So believing was intricately and inseparably connected with the choice that individuals were making in believing that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, even at the cost of potentially being alienated from their family and friends. So therefore the word believe is transformational in the context that John used. Now there are some things that we believe in, but those things do not affect our lives. For example, you all probably believe in the country, that the country of India exists. And even if you didn't, don't believe in that, you probably are more likely to believe it now because every fifth person that you run into on the street of Toronto is from India. Or if you dial a 1-800 number, invariably you reach, reach somebody in India when you either want to complain about something or want to get instructions on how to set up your computer. But you do not live your life differently because you believe in India. The word belief that John is referring to is something deeper. It is evidenced in our daily life. And it's resulting in a radical readjustment of our entire worldview. Recalibration of our values, how we spend our time, how we spend our uh, money. And indeed, reconfiguration of our entire lifestyle. You know, and the signs and miracles that John wrote about in the gospel are not necessarily relegated to a time in history 2,000 years ago. Because Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, forever, he's weaving real life stories into his children. Doing miracles in their lives so that you and I might believe in him, might be encouraged by, by, by these stories. And that we would examine our own beliefs in the light of some of these stories. 
And this summer we had the privilege and honor to listen to several of these stories from several uh, uh, pa- uh, pastors and preachers in this series that you may believe. We have heard from one of our international workers who was speaking from John 1.14. He talked about Jesus dwelling in our midst. And uh, they talked about how living in a cross-cultural context overseas. They had challenges, but opportunities to not only believe in Jesus, to pass on this name that is above every other name. And they challenged us to live incarnationally. In our community, in our schools, in our places of work. And subsequently, Nishant shared with us how he and Aaron are living in Bangladesh, loving and uh, loving the marginalized people, equipping them to live lives with dignity. And thereby, fulfilling the promise and the instruction that Jesus gave, let your light so shine among men that they will look at your good works and glorify the Father. And then we heard Pastor Miles Challenging us to experience the fullness of life by total surrender. Then Abdul Murray talked about his own story of how God is drawing men and women to himself. Through miracles, through dreams, and through enlightening their mind as they are searching for peace and truth. Including those from Muslim faith. Andrew Dibatolo talked about how life in Jesus has the power to make a life. Even resurrect our passive emotions and love for Jesus. And two weeks ago, Dom Russo shared of how they were experiencing life through submission to the sovereignty of God. In leaving the the comfort of uh, their uh, home church, moving to Montreal to establish a church there. And last week we heard that this life that we are talking about is not a life to be lived and to be buried but a life and a legacy to be passed on to others so you might ask what's more to talk about this verse we have heard enough and by the way if you have missed any of these series I would strongly encourage you to download the sermons and listen to them and or watch them and I can assure you you will definitely be blessed so what's more that we can hear about uh, this particular verse well someone said uh, John 20:31 is the DNA of John's gospel. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. As I said, someone said that, the, uh, that this uh, verse is the DNA of John's gospel. You know, most of us know that DNA encodes genetic instructions for the development and functioning of life. And these stories that we have heard, and the stories that we read in the Bible, engender faith into our lives, as well as they encode the genetic instructions for us to live a life with a capital L. And this morning I want to talk about three aspects of living life with a capital L. And of course, the first one I want to talk about is the new life that comes into us when we trust in Jesus. And all three aspects of this life are written and mentioned several times in Gospel according to John. At the same time, they are intricately woven into the entire New Testament. First of all, we want to talk about new life. 
And Jesus explains this new life early in his ministry, in his encounter with a man called Nicodemus. He was a religious man, a teacher of the law, a Pharisee, who had come to Jesus by night with some very poignant questions. And in speaking to Nicodemus, Jesus was demonstrating that this new life is deeply personal. It's not just national or it's not ethnic. And the price to receive this new life is belief in Jesus and repentance for our sins. And let's just pick up the story of uh, the conversation that took place between Jesus and Nicodemus. So Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born born of water and of spirit. Now this experience of being born again is when God's spirit ignites your spirit. And you become alive unto God. And Jesus goes on to tell Nicodemus, Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up that everyone who believes on him shall may have eternal life. You know, some of you will recall the story in the book of Numbers, how when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, and God sent a plague of snakes to punish them of their rebellious attitude. And, and those that were doomed by the snake bite, they could be healed by obeying the commandment of God by looking at an elevated bronze serpent that was put up by Moses. And those that looked at this elevated bronze serpent serpent that was put on a pole by Moses became alive. The power of uh, the death power of snake venom could not really be operating because it was nullified by that look that they had on uh, of this bronze, uh, bronze serpent. And similarly, salvation happens to us when we look at Jesus hanging on the cross. God has provided a way for us to be healed of sin's deadly snake bite, deadly bite. Now, saving faith in Jesus and in the finished work of Jesus, and one look at the cross, moves us to this experience of incredible gift that God has made available to us. About four years ago or so, my wife and I had the privilege of... uh, uh, being at a, a dinner table with a young couple. And it was a, an incredibly exciting, challenging, and rejuvenating experience for us, notwithstanding the music that was going around it. And this young man was sharing with us the story of how he, as a teenager, was uh, challenged by one of his classmates of his, Christian, of his faith. He comes from a non-Christian background. And uh, he was... Uh, invited to an Easter service uh, in, in her church. And subsequently, when he went to university, one of his uh, fellow classmates invited him, uh, or gave him a uh, gospel according to John, challenged him to read it. And as he was reading the, the Bible, God began to speak to him. And God began to work in his heart in challenging him in dismantling all of the uh, indoctrination that he had had from his childhood. Even to think that Jesus was the son of God would be sin. And through that journey of reading through the gospel of John. And God revealing to him 
through dreams and miracles, Nabil came to know the Lord. And some of you have read his book, Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. He Chronicles is one of the best sellers right now. It was just released a year ago. And on September 12th, Nabil would be coming to Toronto. And this is not an isolated case of rebirth. When we read the scripture, when we believe in Jesus and receive the new life that Jesus gives bubbles in us. And just this week I heard a story of uh, uh, someone who uh, attended a Christian conference just south of the border. And uh, he was an atheist. He came to uh, the, the, uh, the gentleman who was speaking and he said, oh, Well, you will never be able to convince me that God exists. Leave alone me, make me believe that Jesus is the Son of God and is the Savior of the world. few minutes into the conversation, all his ammunition just crumbled down. And I was told 15 minutes into the conversation, he bowed his knee to Jesus. So this life, new life, is bubbling all around us. Not just out there in the Far East, not just in Africa, not just in South America, but in, around us in our university campuses, in our schools. And we have the privilege not only to experience it, but to pass it on to others. The second part of the life, with a capital L, is when we experience abundant life. Jesus said in John's Gospel, 10th chapter, 10th verse, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, what is abundant life? If you ask six Christians to explain abundant life, you'll probably get 12 different answers. If you don't believe me, just read some of the wiki articles. So what, what is abundant life? It's very complex. But abundant life is not synonymous to having abundance in life. While throughout the scripture we read of men and women who were blessed of God by material blessings, abundant life is not having material blessings. Abundant life is not having a life without troubles. In fact, in the passage in Hebrews 11 chapter, which chronicles the names and lives of heroes of Christian faith. Several of these men and women experienced poverty, mockery, even imprisonment. Paul himself, who, quoted the oft, uh, who wrote the oft-quoted verse in the, in the benediction to Ephesians, where he said, One who is able to do exceedingly abundant, more than what you can think or imagine. He was writing this in the midst of some very dire circumstances that he was facing. So what is abundant life? There's three points uh, that I've written down here as I was doing my research, and these by no means are exclusive. But one of the things that I know is that abundant life is when we exchange our old life with new life. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, it's a mystery how our trust in Jesus births in us new desires. New desires for holiness. New desires uh, to pass on our faith. New desire to move away from unrighteousness uh, or unrighteousness acts to acts of righteousness. But with this new life, old things are passed away. 
just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to somebody, and uh, they were sharing with me their life. And they were talking about how, when they accepted Jesus, all of the old challenges and shackles that were binding them, they fell off, and how Jesus was able to deliver them from a life of drugs. And what a blessing it is. Dear brothers and sisters, if we want to experience this abundant life, and move from a life which is where we are stuck in a rut. We need to allow the Spirit of God to come into our lives, ignite in us new life, so that we will allow the Spirit of God to move us from old things to new things. The second thing that I've noticed is that in this abundant life, we experience joy, peace, and hope. In the benediction that Paul was giving at the end of Romans, he writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now these three things, joy, peace, and hope, are the very three things that people all around us are looking for, searching for, and are willing to pay any amount of money to get them. But unfortunately, money cannot buy these things. It's part of our experience in living with Christ and allowing His life to ignite our lives that we experience joy, peace, and hope. As Candice was telling the the children, no, this peace is not absence of worry or absence of trouble. But this peace is the presence of Jesus. The joy that Jesus gives us is not merely based on the happenings around us. But it's a joy that enables us to be grounded in Him and experience the fullness of joy that He gives us because of who He is and what He has done for us and what He is doing for us and what He will do for us in the midst of the difficult challenges that we are going. And He gives us hope. Now the opposite of abundant life is what uh, the devil wants to give. In that verse we see the devil comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He steals the excitement from our, li- excitement from our lives. So that life almost becomes a rut. Now perhaps it is possible that we have uh, uh, allowed the new life to come into, our, uh, come into us by believing in Jesus. Maybe that has happened five years ago, ten years ago. But are we allowing the joy and peace and hope that he gives to be in our lives, to be, for him to be filling us with these things? An abundant life also includes having an overflowing life in, our, in us. In the same passage that I read earlier on, last part, uh, uh, Paul writes, May the, God, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may, that you may have, that you may be overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I was doing this research, uh, I ran into an article that was written in Christianity Today by Ed Stretzer, and this is how he defined abundant life. Abundant life is not about what we have. It's not about what we get. It's not about what we uh, claim. Ultimately, abundant life is about what we receive as a gift from the Lord. And we live knowing we are stewards of the blessings of God. Furthermore, stewardship is not measured by what we have received, but what we have given. 
At the end of the day, perhaps that's how we know we have abundant life. When we have shared our lives with others. When we have enough of the blessings of God, mercy, peace, love, grace, wisdom, to share with, our, share with others, and then actually do it. That's when we truly have abundant life. Abundant life is to recognize the stewardship is not measured by what we have, but what we have given out. And God has put into each of us talents and gifts. And he has put them in us so that we can steward them. And one day God is going to ask us of how we have stewarded the gift that he has given us. Most of us are familiar with the Corrie ten Boom, the Dutch woman who ministered to uh, Jewish uh, people during the Second World War, and she was imprisoned just before the war, and after she was released from the war, uh, she was uh, ministering around the world, had written some of the, several books, and she heard of this uh, old lady from, uh, in Russia who was typing the, uh, the Bible and some of the Christian books and circulating them. And you have to uh, just remember that this happened in, uh, in the former Soviet Union when uh, religious freedom was almost non-existing. So therefore this woman, this old woman was typing up uh, the Bible as well as some Christian books and circulating it. And Cory, when she found out about it, she decided to make a trip to Russia incognito and uh, find out what uh, 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 this woman was doing and just to encourage her. And when Cory uh, entered the apartment, she found that this old woman was bent and twisted with multiple sclerosis and was propped up by pillows so that she won't fall over. And Cory writes of her experience uh, with this woman. She raised her right hand and slowly in jerks. It was the only part of her body she could control with her gnarled and deformed knuckles. She caressed my face. I reached over and kissed the index finger of that hand, for it was with that index finger that she had so long glorified God. Her husband helped her in this tedious endeavor. He would put an old black typewriter in front of her on a small table, and then with that remarkable index finger, she would begin to type. What are the gifts that God has given us that he wants us to steward? And as I was praying over this sermon yesterday, uh, the Lord convicted me that, uh, of what this woman was doing, but at the same time the Lord convicted me of how supportive I am as a husband when my wife is using her gift to the Lord. And this is a challenge that I have for all of us. Not only in using our gifts, but encouraging others as they are using their gifts and stewarding them for the extension of the kingdom and for the glory of God. Now when a person is walking with the Lord and when we are constantly recognizing the blessing that God has given us, automatically we begin to look into ourselves, look at the gifts that God has given to us, and we cannot help but give out this, uh, use this, uh, or steward the gifts that he has given us in using them, both for his glory and for our satisfaction as well. 
on September, early September, uh, early June rather, we did a, a survey during the barbecue Sunday. And thank you, many of you filled up the survey. There were about 508 of uh, eight adults that filled up the survey. There were five or six questions or so uh, that were in, in that survey. And there's a lot of information that, come, uh, that came out of that survey, which you'll hear about later on. But uh, one qu- answer to one question just intrigued me. Of the 508 people, eight adults that filled up the survey, 32% indicated that they are currently serving the Lord in Rexdale or using their gifts. 55% included, uh, 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 indicated that they are not currently serving. 10% said that they are interested. So first of all, I want to thank each of you that are serving uh, and using your gifts and steward, stewarding your gifts uh, in, in this community of faith. And we could not have done what we are doing without uh, you using your gifts. My, my challenge is also for those of you who said who are interested in serving. And if you have not heard from any of the pastoral staff yet, if you could email us, we will definitely put you in an area where your gifts match the needs. And if you are one of those who are not serving, may I encourage you to prayerfully consider how you might serve. And I'm not saying this because we want you to serve because we are in desperate, dire need. But I'm encouraging you so that you would get the joy of seeing how your gifts are multiplied and how your gifts, as you pour into others' lives, are bringing joy not only to them, but to you as well. Can you imagine uh, looking at uh, the children that you have ministered to five, six, seven years later, and now they're becoming youth leaders, or perhaps even pastors or worship leaders. Or if you're poured into some of the uh, uh, youth, and uh, they are able to share with you, which they cannot with their parents or their peers, the deep struggles that they are going to, and the incredible privilege that you have to speak into their lives, to impact their lives. And the incredible privilege to lead God's people in worship through the gifts that God has given you. Dear brothers and sisters, I would beg you to prayerfully consider and look at what gifts God has given you, what talents He has given you, and ask Him how you might steward those gifts, both for the extension of the kingdom and your own satisfaction and for the glory of God. When we visited Dead Sea a few years ago, uh, it was an incredible experience for us. And for one thing, what we noticed was, because of the high salt content, uh, uh, the beach area, uh, the salt had completely crystallized. So you couldn't tell, some of you who have gone there, you probably uh, remember that, you can't even walk on the beach without having your flip-flops. Some of the crystals are so sharp that you will uh, cut your, uh, they cut into your soles. But Dead Sea, because of the high salt content, does not support life. No fish swim in the Dead Sea. There's no uh, uh, ecosystem there. There are no weeds in the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is dead. Because water is flowing into it, but not out of it. It takes and takes, but never gives out. Now, without an outlet, water stagnates. Whether it is in a stinking water rotting in the plugged 
eavesdrop in your house or the salty, oily Dead Sea. The same thing is true in a Christian's life. As someone said, if we do not have sufficient information, worship, nurture, and instructions flowing into Christian's life, and and sufficient ministry flowing out, the Christian begins to stagnate. And we all know that stagnant water is stinky water as well. Let me read that statement again. If we do not have sufficient information, worship, nurture, instructions flowing into a Christian's life, and sufficient ministry flowing out, the Christian begins to stagnate. There's opportunities for you. Last week uh, in the bulletin there was this blue sheet uh, which outlined all of the areas where you could minister. And perhaps some of you are blessed with the ministry of prayer. And you could join uh, the uh, different prayer meetings that happen. And God would encourage you as you pray and as your prayers are answered. And to see God working behind the scenes. Not only do we experience new life. Not only do we experience abundant life. But we also experience eternal life. But before I get to that, you know, there are times that we talk to our friends, neighbors, and uh, it's an opportunity for you. Like uh, sometimes people ask me, "Do you have anything that you can that you that I can give out to my friends? Yeah, an invitation uh, or to Rexdale?" And, and we have made uh, these cards, several hundreds of them. At the back, you can write your name, phone number, and just give it to them. Uh, and uh, pray for them that God would really bring them at some point. So you can pick up these cards. Uh, they are free of charge. You can pick up any number that you want as long as you promise to use them. Uh, in the next little while, uh, they are at the information desk that you can pick them up. And the life with a capital L also entails eternal life. In the oft-quoted verse in uh, John 3.16, where Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him shall, have, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is the everlasting life that God wants to give to us. And John also writes, Whosoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whosoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remain, God's wrath remains on them. And God does not want any man, any woman to perish anywhere. And he wants us to enter into this eternal life. And one of the greatest blessings, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone beholds the Son and believes in him, will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Oh, what a blessing. Even to have the confidence that we will see him face to face one day. New life, abundant life, and eternal life. Now Bernard Shaw is perhaps most renowned as the free thinker and liberal philosopher of last century. In his last writings, Bernard Shaw wrote this. The science to which I pin my faith is bankrupt. Its councils, which should have established the millennium, led instead directly to the suicide of Europe. I believed them once. In their name, I helped to destroy the faith of millions of worshippers in the temples of a thousand creeds. And now they look at me and witness the great tragedy of an atheist who has lost his faith. Contrast this. 
to the story that I'm going to end with. One of my uncles uh, uh, was suddenly diagnosed with uh, pancreatitis in his uh, young age with a uh, eight-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. Had a very short lifespan, uh, short period uh, to, uh, th- that he was given by the doctors. And uh, he grew up in our home. He was my dad's younger brother. Uh, my dad's mom had uh, passed away uh, when uh, his siblings were very young. So they literally grew up in our home. Uh, they, he was the older brother that I never had. So as he, was, uh, as he lay dying in the hospital, uh, he had stopped talking. And there was gr- uh, a grieving widow. Uh, not a widow yet, but uh, she was. She is a nurse, so she knew uh, what was going to happen. So one day they took the eight-year-old daughter and the four-year-old son to the hospital. He had stopped talking by that time, and my parents were on, on the other side of the bed. I was already in Canada at that time, and uh, so they asked him, "Do you recognize your daughter?" And he just uh, made it, some eye movements. Yes, and. Uh, my mother said, do you have anything to say to your daughter? A man who had never spoken, he looked at his daughter and he said, keep going to Sunday school. Today, that four-year-old son is in Bible college studying to become a pastor. And what surprised all of the people that were in the hospital and in that room was a man who had never spoken. Not spoken in the previous few days. He looked up opened his mouth, and he said, I see the chariot coming. And he gave up his ghost. So dear brothers and sisters, this new life, this abundant life, this eternal life, is not something that we teach because we, it makes you feel good. It is real. Admittedly, not all of us probably will see the chariot. But these things are written that you might believe. And in believing you might have life in his name. May God enable us to grab on to this life, enjoy the abundant life, and pass it on to others. Let us pray. Let's just take a minute to tell the Lord, Lord, I want this abundant life. I've been wasting away my life, or I've been just thinking... I'm satisfied with the experience of yesterday. I want an overflowing life. Overflowing life that money cannot buy. Overflowing life that sickness and death cannot disturb. Overflowing life which gives incredible peace in the midst of storms because of the presence of the creator of heaven and earth within me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the blessing that you have given to us to know you and to experience life and experience it more abundantly. So we pray that as we start this new ministry year at this church as we go back to school as teachers or students as we go back to our places of work after a long time of summer holidays 
that life would be bubbling in us, that people that are around us would look at us and say, what's happened to you? And may we, through that experience, meet some Nabils with whom we can share this living Jesus and that their lives could be transformed. Send us with your blessings in Jesus' name. My blessings are twofold. If you have never experienced Jesus and experienced the new birth that he has for you, may he birth in you a desire for this new life. If you have already experienced a new life, may he ignite in you a desire to enjoy life abundantly. Go in Jesus' name.